0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the mini break. Your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world today is Thursday, June 8th. They say sometimes you should save the best for last. Well, that's certainly what we seem to have done at this 2023 French Open as we were treated to a couple of gems of women's single semifinals. And of course, here on today's show, I want to offer my thoughts on what I know we all believe were two fascinating battles. Of course, Karolina Mukova started the day by reaching her first Grand Slam singles final of her career. She used all the tricks at her disposal in ultimately earning a three-set victory over Arena Sabalenka. Of course, match number two saw a script we've all grown familiar with over the past few seasons. Iga Swiatek methodically working her way through another Roland Garros victory. Swiatek into her third Roland Garros final of her career, show play for her fourth major title following a straight set victory over Beatrice, excuse me, Haddad Maya. Now, I say straight sets. I love the game plan Hadad Maya employed. I love the risks she took throughout the course of her battle with Svantec. And yes, she was on the losing end of today's match, but I think all of us are buying stock in Beatrice Haddad Maya's game to see her continued development over these past two and a half years, to see her continued progress at the biggest events the tour has to offer. We're all going to enjoy some Beatrice Haddad Maya over the next, not just few months, but I would say over the next few seasons as well. That said, the biggest storyline in all of women's tennis over the past 17 months has been the rise of Ika Sviantek and for her to be playing for her fourth major title having just turned 22 this early in her career speaks to her level. I want to talk about again what she managed to solve in this Beatrice Haddad-Maya match talk through what was a really fun second set as well. Talk about the opportunities Haddad-Maya created for herself but again Sviantek through the finish line. She'll face Carolina Mukova on today's show. I want to talk about how we got to our 2023 French Open women's singles final. Of course, I also want to preview tomorrow's battles. God, is it going to be a fun day of tennis? Of course, it starts out with a match I've already called on this podcast. My match of the century, Carlos Alcaraz, Novak Djokovic. Yes, it's pre- 10 a.m. Eastern time, but all of us will have our popcorn ready. I imagine many of you hopefully have already called in sick to work tomorrow or have taken that valuable day off. Hopefully it will be worth it because it's the two best players on the ATP Tour going head-to-head in a Grand Slam semifinal. What more can we ask for? I know I've already offered my preliminary thoughts, but yesterday I went back and watched the previous head-to-head encounter between the two. I believe it was the Madrid semifinal. I don't, I'm don't. i pretty sure it was Madrid, not Rome. I'll double check later on in the show. But the Madrid semifinal, they played uh, Alcaraz winning in the third set. God, I just... If the match lives up to 75% of what that semifinal was, we're in for a show to start our day tomorrow. And then I really think the second match is going to be equally good as well. Certainly things will. Let's get physical, physical between Alex Virev and Kasparud, right? Like, oh, the the heavy inside out forehand of Kasparud into maybe the only backhand or guy with the size and backhand suited to deal with it in Alex Virev. It's going to be really fun. Um, I'm locked in. On both matches, I watched some of their previous encounter or highlights of some of their previous encounters as well. So I want to offer my final thoughts on each of those men's semifinals, talk about those, again, recap our women's semifinals. I'll save our women's final preview for tomorrow, although bit of a heads up, I'm bringing my microphone, I plan on recording I am heading to my dear friend and Crack Rackets contributor extraordinaire James Foster McDonald's wedding this weekend. Shout out to our dear friend Jamie. He's getting married. West off, give me some marriage sound effects, please. That said, the reason I bring that up, uh, that said, I should say congratulations to him. Congratulations to his lovely uh, wife-to-be, Nikki. High school sweethearts, you love to see it, especially in this era That said, the reason I bring it up, A, to celebrate him, throw a tweet his way. longtime listeners, I know he'll appreciate it. But B, if a podcast is delayed in its release or, God forbid, I forget to record one day, it's not because I'm sick. It's not because I'm ignoring you, the listener. It's because I'm celebrating my dear friend James Foster McDonald's marriage. And so hopefully all of you will understand that, wanted to give you that heads up in advance. That said, again, we got a loaded show. For all of you listeners today, my thoughts on Mukova, Sabalenka, Sviantek, Haddad, Maya, the men's semifinals, and so much more, of course. The reason we're able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. I sincerely appreciate your patience with us on this show in particular over the course of May. We were caught up in the May Madness. That is the NCAA tournament. It was such a privilege for our team to cover it all. It's such a privilege for our team to continue our broadcasting here as we're going to be covering the 2023 U.S. STA SoCal Pro Series. That event, a seven event series, 15 Ks, ITF Pro Circuit events for the men and women all throughout the Southern California area. We'll have coverage of every championship weekend on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. That includes coverage this weekend. Now I, again, am going to be at Jamie's wedding, but my dear friend, Brian Fenley, my dear friend, uh, Mark Bay, they will be on the call. So rest assured, we got fantastic coverage for all of you coming up this weekend and each of the next six weekends as our coverage of the USTA SoCal Pro series continues. So some additional tennis for all of you in case you don't get enough of a fix from this weekend's Grand Slam final action. That said, shout out to you. That's the look ahead of what we've got going on here at Cracked Rackets. You can follow it all, CrackedRackets.com, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Cracked Rackets, at AL Grusk, and like, rate, subscribe, review. We always do appreciate those who leave a review in the Apple Podcast feed. I get to have fun with those reviews and helps us with the algorithm. So appreciate all of you who take the time to do that. Appreciate the sport. We get uh, support, excuse me, we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point as well, and this intro is long enough, so I'll be brief, tennis-point.com. Promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest equipment at the best prices. Again, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Tennis Point, longtime sponsors of the Mini Break Podcast, the least we can ask you to do. If you're buying tennis goods, turn to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. Promo code is CR15. All right, let's talk 2023 French Open women's singles semifinals. Let's just go chronologically. uh Ugh. Do I enjoy watching me some Carolina Mukova? And I think I've been pretty consistent in my fondness for her game. Didn't just start when she beat Maria Sakkari in straight sets at the beginning of this tournament. Didn't just start throughout the course of this twenty twenty three season as she's worked her way back into the top twenty and as she's accumulated a twenty five and seven mark this year. No. It's been a long time appreciation for Carolina Mukova. If, if you do listen to some of our college coverage here at Crack Rackets, there's a player who's a sophomore at Texas A&M, one of the 10 best players in the country named Mary Stoyana, built similarly to Mukova, employs similar slices and angles and comfortable moving forward sort of tactics. I often compare her to Carolina Mukova. And again, when you're in the comparison spectrum, obviously that means I have a fondness for your game. I think... Beyond the offensive package Carolina Mukova brings to the court, first and foremost, what she brings is dynamic athleticism. I mean, you knock whatever boxes you're looking for in terms of what defines a superior athlete in this sport, Carolina Mukova knocks off those boxes. You want an explosive first step? She's got an explosive first step. You want an explosive serve? She's one of 10 players ranked top 25 in both hold and break percentage and certainly can hit the spot slice wide flat tees both service and ad side she can hit a little bit of a kick out although that's probably the one she struggles with most although then again her ability to run around that ball find first four hands work her way to the net with her first step the feel she has as well I know that's a non-quantifiable metric of athleticism but certainly she has that elite feel that the elite players in this game has you see it have you see it on the slices you see it in how well she moves forward and knocks off volleys, how well she hits the overhead. Her racket skills, that ability to get outside the ball, that ability to drive through the ball, whether it's cross-court down the line. Karolina Mukova has always had a complete set of skills. Now, the biggest issues for Karolina Mukova in my opinion, has always been just health. You know, it's all been health-related. You look for her 2020, obviously that's the COVID year, but she plays just 15 total matches. You look for her 2021, unfortunately – only able to play 17 matches throughout the course of the year and doesn't play anything after the US Open last year just 23 matches and you know didn't play until the start of March played sparingly really until the start of August September when you know she fell outside the top 200 and had to work her way back up the rankings well guess what folks she's done that to start this year obviously you make a French Open final you've worked your way back up the rankings but now 25 and 7 overall in the year is Carolina Mukova, 16th in the live rankings, fifth in the points race as it relates to 2023. And she was already a top 12 player according to Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings. I mentioned it, one of just 10 players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour. Mukova was playing good ball prior to this French Open, and again, had we done a rigorous, extensive French Open preview like we typically had, I absolutely would have had Maria Sakari on upset alert. This is just the feather in the cap. This is the signature result that tells the rest of the tour, 26-year-old Carolina Mukva is healthy, she's back, she's in the prime of her career, and she is just in the mix. Not in the inner circle, but certainly in the mix. And throughout the course of her match with Arena Sabalenka. What was so impressive is how the match was played on both players' terms. And what do I mean like that? Well, inherently, anytime you play Arena Sablanka, she's going to rip some first serves. She's going to rip some winners. She's going to step into returns, take backhands down the line or inside in on the deuce side, and you're on the full stretch, and it's just an easy plus-one return, first put-away combination for Sablanka. She's going to do that against anyone. She epitomizes Serena Williams' Power Tennis Country Club. She's a slam champion. She's going to do that against anyone. That said, you look at the first set, right? 1-all, 2-all, 3-all, 4-all. Yes, Mukova broke for 5-4 and had a set point, but Sabalenka gets that break back for 5-all, and then, you know, now it's 6-all. One break of serve each through the first set. Karolina Mukova had the goods to match Arena Sabalenka, and obviously from a statistic standpoint, what stands out? She was 21 of 28 at the net in this match. 38 winners against 27 unforced errors. She was so smart in hitting the first serve. And I know I say this repeatedly, but on the deuce side in particular, first serve wide, first shot to the open court, move forward to the net, force Sabalenka to hit something on the run. Because you just cannot afford to allow Arena Sabalenka to hit from a balanced position to hit with her feet set because now she's dictating, now she has a free swing, and she's going to overwhelm you with her pace. And Carolina Mukva didn't allow that. And again, the first serve wide on the deuce side was the most notable pattern that she continued to hit. I saw throughout the course of the match. She also, for what it's worth, fights off nine of the 13 break points she faces while converting five of five break point chances. I mean, that's just stones. Carolina Mukova was awesome. And I do think, again, this has been my theory if you've listened to our coverage here throughout the course of this French Open, I don't think, as fun as this match was, you know, because Mukova takes the first set right in the breaker, and after she is serving for the set, has a set point, Sabalenka breaks back, forces that breaker, you think to yourself, all right, Sabalenka's got her right where she wants her, she's going to take this first set breaker, she's going to pull away. It's not what happens. Mukova takes the first set breaker. Mukova goes out to an early two-love lead in the second set, and then that's where this match gets really fun, is because there was a 30-minute pocket of stretch of time, as there is in every match Arena Sabalenka played, where she was just lights out, where She was serving with ease, where every backhand return was on the line, where it just felt like every ball Karolina Mukova hit, she was being pushed backwards into the quarter. She was hitting it on the full stretch. And yes, she's so good on the slice, but there's only so much you can do when you're hitting a slice on the full stretch with it. You know, again, that said, Mukova managed, you know, after they trade breaks opening two all, it's, you know, three all, it's four all, it's five all, it's six all, they don't they don't break serve down the home stretch of the second set. Karolina Mukova, albeit not in the abundantly clear with the eyes sort of aggression in terms of the overwhelming power, but in just creating lanes to attack for herself, she continuously pushed Sabalenka on the back foot. Now again, Sabalenka takes the second set breaker, seven six apiece through the first two sets. It felt even from a tennis perspective. And that's the biggest compliment you can give Carolina Mukova is that she was able for two sets to match plus one aggression with Arena Sabalenka. Shot for shot, you're headed to a decider. Anything can happen. Look, that's the moment, and I won't lie, when Arena Sabalenka went up 5-2 in the third set when she has a match point up 30-40 in that 2-5 service game for Mukova, even though she didn't convert it, and credit to Mukova, hit a brilliant I think she hits the flat serve out wide better than the kick. Hit a great flat serve out wide plus one forehand inside out winner to fight off the match point. Sabalenka never got to match point again. But I thought for sure that this version of Arena Sabalenka, even given all the struggles, even given the fact that, again, I don't think she played well at any point during this 2023 French Open. She played fine. There were pockets of good. Like she was good against Rakimova, but there was nothing Rakimova could do to hurt her. That said, she still was up 5-2 and then up 5-3, serving for the match. But, man, credit to Carolina Mukova. Did well to put returns in play with depth. And, look, did Sabalenka get, go to match point? No. Did she offer up three unforced errors in that 5-3 service game? You could argue the third was forced. But, yes, she handed that break back. But credit to Mukova. That lifeline was all she needed, and after looking physically hampered down the home stretch of the third, that was the adrenaline shot. Now she's back taking forehands down the line, taking backhands down the line. Again, never more than two shots in the same direction to just force Sabalenka to continuously have to hit on the run. The match point is just... Case in point, the brilliance of Carolina Mukova, a heavy topspin ball with depth cross court that overwhelms so many of Sabalenka's opponents. What does Mukova do with it? She redirects it with a backhand down the line. Sabalenka is not able to get there on the stretch. She shanks the ball wide. Mukova's going to a first Grand Slam final. I mean, again, it's a credit to Carolina Mukva, who has dealt with so many different injuries over the course of the past few seasons and now healthy for the first time for a five month stretch. She's playing the best tennis of her career. Again, 25 and 7 overall, up to a new career high of number 16, currently fifth in the points race, in to her first slam final, perhaps most pressingly. She deserves to go through. She beat Sabalenka. She beat Maria Sakari. She beat a former finalist in Anastasia Pavlichenkova, who, yes, hasn't played a ton of tennis of late, but certainly played well at this event. She beat a former semifinalist in Nadia Podoroska. It was a weird path, but it was a tough path. And Karolina Mukova played the part of better player, at least from an eye test perspective and certainly a statistical perspective as well, but that's going to happen when you win. She was the better player in all the matches that she played. I mean, again, 38 winners against 27 unforced errors, 5 of 5 on break points. She fought off 9 of 3 break point chances, uh, 9 of 13, excuse me, break point chances, made 62% of her first serves, won 64% of her service points first and second for the match. Mukova was excellent. Like, I, I just don't know how to say it. Her good was better than Sabalenka's today and while Sabalenka's best was better, Mukova was able to sustain that level for longer and this gets back to the Sabalenka side of things. Look, for Arena Sabalenka, you go through the first half of the season, she plays 40 matches, 34 and 6 overall, Australian Open champ, Roland Garros semifinalist, Madrid, uh, excuse me, yeah, Madrid champ, Stuttgart finalist, Indian Wells finalist, Adelaide champ as well if you want to throw that in there. That is a hell, hell of a first half of the year. And while Iga Swiatek's victory in the semifinals means she will retain the number one ranking coming out of this French Open no matter what, Sabalenka's got ground to gain because she didn't play Wimbledon last year. Obviously, no one has points there, but historically, Sabalenka's made a semifinal at Wimbledon. Iga has, I mean, she won it as a junior, but hasn't done it in the pros yet. Obviously, the U.S. Open, Iga's the defending champion. Yes, is a defending semifinalist, but those are two matches for Sabalanka to gain points in. Cincinnati, Toronto, neither played particularly well, so it's low-hanging fruit for both. Sabs can be the world number one. That race is wide open for her, and yes, this was a disappointing result but she didn't—the I, I, key I will come back to is in no match did I come off of it thinking this is the Sabalenka who's dominant, who is as good, if not better, than any player in the world when she plays like this. I don't think we saw that level from her once in Paris, and she still ended up in the semifinals. She still had a match point to get to the final. And again, credit to Mukova. Big serve wide, inside-out forehand on match point. That's the sort of consistent aggression in the big moments she came up with all match long— I mean, you look at the zero to four shot rallies indicative of who had more plus one success against the best plus one player in the game right now, Arena Sabalenka, Mukova plus 21 in the zero to four shot rallies. Now, credit to Sabalenka, plus 11 in the five plus, and that speaks to how her fitness has improved, how her discipline has improved. Mukova is the better player. Mukova deserves to advance to this Grand Slam final, I test wise. I mean, obviously result-wise, but I think eye test wise, she has played better than anyone not named Iga Schviantek. That said, it needs to be mentioned, she has not played better than Iga Schviantek. Iga Schviantek is unequivocally your favorite heading into the twenty twenty three French Open Women's Singles Final. Look, that is not a hot hot take. It's just the take. It's it's not a take, it's the fact. And for Ega today. Six one, uh, six one or six two? Excuse me, six two seven six over Haddad Maya. Watching Haddad Maya break serve to start the match, breaks at love. Two ridiculous forehand winners, just swinging freely. You're like, oh my god! Like she got the game plan, she got the message. Go down swinging, take your chances against Iga. Better to rip and miss than play on Iga's terms because if you play on Iga's terms on this surface, you lose. And then what did he do? Breaks back immediately, holds for 2-1, races off to a 6-2 first set. It's methodical. It's how well she hits out of her corners. It's the depth of the backhand, how well she's hitting the down the line. I read something that 52%—I didn't read it. I saw it on the stat in tennis. 52% of her balls are targeting the deuce side right now, and that's a combination of both forehands cross as well as how well she's hitting her backhand line. And that backhand line today was just pivotal— in attacking the Beatrice Haddad Maya backhand because Haddad Maya was swinging on that forehand wing. And let me just say, Beatrice Haddad Maya played damn well enough to win the second set uh, in this match and to win even a set against Iga Svantec, who, a reminder— has now made three Roland Garros finals. You'd think, you know, what's so notable about Iga during this run is you can remember the matches where she's lost sets, right? You're like Chin Wen. She lost her only set last year. Zachary, she lost the match two years ago. Uh, the year before that, I don't think she lost a set on her way to the title. Haddad Maia had her chances in that second set. And it started with just an early break of serve. Haddad Maya would not roll over. And that's a credit to her. She goes up an early break in set number two. Uh, I think it was that 3-1 lead that she had. But, I mean, again, Iga is going to Iga. And Iga ultimately uh, gets that break immediately back 4-3 all. Now, the game that it comes back to, three break points for Haddad Maya in that 4-all service game. That game was the match because Haddad Maya had her chances on those three break points. Well, she had chances on two of them. One of them, too good on a plus one from Iga, executed the kick serve wide enough that just she had the whole lane to attack, and now do I cover the down the line, but she can hit the backhand behind me so well. She just had Haddad Maya frozen. One of them, too good, too well done by Iga. Hadad Maya had a couple looks uh, on each of those other two break points, and yes, I know she missed balls there, but that's what you have to do against Iga, particularly on this surface. If you don't take some chances, some risks, try to play outside of yourself. Even for an Arena Sabalenka, the aggression just has to be perfect on that day. You have to pressure Iga with some pace to the forehand. You have to make a high percentage of first serves. You have to capitalize on any look on a second serve to get her stretched, particularly get her stretched and then hit behind her on her forehand wing, because that's when she'll turn to a slice. That's when you get some Something that floats, then you can really assert yourself. Hadad Maya did all of those things. Make 75% of her first serves, which, I mean, does she hit a massive first serve? No, but Iga's going to break you anyways. And for what it's worth, Iga only had four breakpoint chances in this match. Now she converted all four, but still, Haddad Maya minimized, I suppose, the damage to as much as you can against Iga. Haddad Maya, 18 winners against 25 unforced errors, but. She forced 22 errors, and, you know, again, I thought from a rhythm perspective— Look, she had three breakpoint chances to serve for the second set up 5-4. It was a 9-7 second set breaker, and Hadad Maya had a set point at 6-5. Now, it was on Shviantek's serve, but—so I don't really count that as 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 big of an opportunity as the four all-breakpoint chances were. Hadad Maya was up a break in the first. I know Iga ran away with it there, but that second set, she just— Every little, you know, because Iga loves to hit the kick serve on the ad side so well, and Haddad Maya took that away by taking the return inside the baseline, taking her forehand on the line. She hit that ball so aggressively. That said, it's just the efficiency of Iga, as aggressive as Haddad Maya was. Just look at the stats: Iga plus ten in the zero to four shot rallies. Now Haddad Maya played her pretty even outside of that, but. Iga just gets to her spot so well. She is hitting her backhand down the line so well. When she did challenge that Hadad Maya forehand, it was with the high and heavy inside-out forehand or the short-angle but well-driven backhand cross-court, so Hadad Maya didn't have any center third forehands, which she's so effective with. Again, this was a really good match. Like You just don't see Iga Svantec pushed at French Opens ever. Or very, very rarely thus far in her career. And, you know, again, for Iga, who's now 101 in 15 since the start of last year 101 victories, 15 losses over 17 months. Do I have to keep saying it? Once in a generation talent. She is a once in a generation talent. And you just look at the statistics and the group she has accomplished. And shout out, as always, to our friends at Op the Ace. Only Margaret Court at the Australian Open and Margaret Court at Roland Garros have higher win ratios than Iga at the French. Iga's won 93.1% of her matches there. That's better than Everett at the French. It's better than Seleus at the French now. It's only a, what, five French Open sample size? But she might win three French Open titles in her first five French Opens. She's the fourth youngest female player in the Open era to reach her third final at Roland Garros. The only one's older, Celis, best 21 and under player ever, men's or women's side, period. Steffi Graf, Chris Everett. Her her contemporaries right now – and I've said this all tournament long – Every list she keeps joining, it's, oh, first since Celis. Oh, just Celis and Everett. Oh, now, it's sorry, sorry, uh, Steffi Graf did this as well. Is she the greatest of all time? No, I'm not saying that yet. I have to keep reiterating that fact because otherwise people won't understand it. But she is on pace to be in that conversation. And you just do not see. I mean, we went 10 years, 15 years. No one caught Serena. Sharapova is an exceptional player. Enin's an exceptional player. Uh, Halep's an exceptional player. You know, Kerber's an exceptional player. Kvitova and Wozniacki. And we've had a lot of really good players during this stretch of time. It's been a while if you're getting lists of first Sincelis, Everett, Graf since we've had someone on this trajectory. Now, again, Serena's prime and how long that prime lasted – Good freaking luck catching up if you're Iga Swiatek. But guess what? Unlike 99999999999 percent of players, at 22 years old, Iga's done enough things and showed enough dominance at this event. Talk about—she's the best clay court player I've ever seen, just period, in the women's game. And I was not conscience, uh, conscious as a tennis fan for the Steffi Graf era. I was not alive, period, for the Everett and Avratilova days. Uh, yes, I saw a lot of Serena 2010s, but early Serena at the French Open was not something I have a lot of expertise in. I remember watching how good Enon was on this surface. None of them bring the totality of aggression, physicality, complete package, discipline, all of it. Iga Swiatek has all of it on this surface In particular and just buckle in for the ride like I not to get all gambly because I know some people don't love gambling and I'm not you know again I have no problem it's your money do with it what you want I'm happy to advise you as I can you know again if you talk trash to a player after a gamble goes wrong you're done I'm done like you're done for me because it's your choice you know you made the choice to spend the money it's your fault not theirs I texted my cousin – shout out Aaron Fisher – prior to the tournament because I texted him Djokovic who had plus – it was was my cousin, his younger brother, my older cousin Brian's wedding during New Year's and some drinks were flowing and I was like, dude – Right now, Novak Djokovic is plus odds to win the Australian Open. Like, I would bet every dollar in my pocket that he's going to win that event. And Aaron goes, all right, I'm going to bet $100 in my pocket. And shout out to him. He ultimately got the victory. He texted me beforehand because I've earned a line of credit. And he said, what are we thinking for this event? I said, I'm telling you. Parlay Sviantek Djokovic, Sviantek Alcarez. Bet them both. Iga's winning this French. No disrespect to Karolina Mukova, who, again, was exceptional today against arena sabalenka i will be shocked if iga swiatek does not win another french open that's how good she looks on this surface again Haddad maya was striking the ball beautifully and yet it's 2 and 6 iga's off the court in straight sets into another slam final 101 and 15 overall in her uh since the start excuse me of 2022 Again now, she's made, what, three French Open finals, a U.S. Open final as well. She's made an Australian Open semi. Still got to make a a big second-week run at Wimbledon, and then we'll, you know, again, you feel like it's when, not if. She'll have that career slam where she wins one title at all four because I'm telling you, her game's going to—she's She just, just too athletic, too creative for her game not to work at Wimbledon. She won a junior Wimbledon slam, like, Clearly, there's a pathway there. And the sample size right now in grass courts, you look for Iga Swiatek in her career on the grass courts, nine and six overall. 15 matches is not a big enough sample size. I need more data before I assess Iga's long-term grass prospects. That said, again... Your head-to-head, excuse me, bat, yeah, your head-to-head record, that is what I meant to say, your head-to-head record between these two players, Carolina Mukova and Iga Sviantek, heading into our 2023 final. And I apologize, my dear friends at Tennis Abstract are being, it's not being annoying, it just isn't loading at the moment, but shout out to Tennis Abstract as always. Mukova, Sviantek, Mukova 0-1 in their career head-to-head. Mukova beat Sviantek 6-4 in the third 2019, Eagle was 18 years old when the match, uh, excuse me, 17 years old when the match was played. Some things might have changed between now and then. And so, yeah, it was on clay, 6-4 in the third in Prague, but we'll do the full breakdown of that match tomorrow. Again, what an exceptional day of tennis on the women's side and the crazy part is you feel like the men's matches really might be even better. I mean, that's how good the men's semifinals could be if they deliver as on paper they look like they might and that's how I want to end today's show again I'll offer you some final facts on these two men's semifinals. It's Carlos Alcaraz versus Novak Djokovic that match starting around 8:45 Eastern Time. Zverev Rude going to be around 11:30 Eastern Time. Right now, according to Tennis Abstract, Carlos Alcaraz, a 62% favorite to knock off Djokovic. Kaspar Rude, 56.4% favorite to knock off Alex Zverev. You want to turn to our dear friends at DraftKings. The odds right now heading into our French Open men's semifinals. Alcaraz is the favorite, minus 210. I mean, Djokovic has an underdog. <laughs> oh, that's tempting. And then, wow, People are buying Zverev stock. Zverev, the minus 115, ever so slight favorite over Kasparud at minus 105. What do these mean? It means to to win a dollar on Alex Zverev, you got to bet $1.15. To win a dollar on Kasparud, you got to bet a dollar five. That means they think it's even. I mean that that's literally what that's telling you is that they, like Tennis Abstract, think it's essentially a 50-50 match. Betting odds and abstract look at Carlos Alcaraz over Djokovic. That's interesting to me. And honestly, it's kind of what we see with our eyes. I mean, let's be clear. Carlos Alcaraz, 1-0 in the career head-to-head against Novak Djokovic. Now that match, 6-7, 7-5, 7-6. Alcaraz knocks off Djokovic in what was indeed the Madrid Masters back in 2022 Of course, you look at the pathways, how each guy got there. Just to quickly recap, Alcraz has dropped just one set in wins over Kabali, Daniel, Shapovalov, Musetti, and Tsitsipas, where... He was particularly dominant in those first two sets and first two and a half sets six two, six one, seven, six. For Novak Djokovic wins over Kovacevic, Fucevic, Davidovich, Fokina won Pablo Varias, and Karen Hachinov, where he lost his first set of the event in the first set before ultimately bouncing back, playing some really good tennis in set number three and serving lights out throughout the course of the match. That's the key. Djokovic has to serve lights Out because Carlos Alcarez has the biggest weapon on the court. His forehand, his ability to find that forehand and the damage that forehand does on this surface in particular, the heaviness of that shot, his ability to go inside out, inside in, just again, you're so paralyzed, frozen as his opponent when he has time in that ad corner that his drop shot is that much more effective uh, because it just complements the heaviness of his forehand so well. That drop shot roasted Djokovic in their Madrid battle. Alcaraz converted his first nine drop shot attempts. And Djokovic was paralyzed to some extent. Now, Djokovic served extraordinarily well in that match. He's going to have to. He's served, I think, really well through this French Open. And that's been this latest iteration of Novak Djokovic. What has allowed him to prolong this streak of success and world number one quality levels? Because. His hold percentage is 2% higher than it was in the prime of his career. He is a little more aggressive in hitting his spots, hits them more frequently, and then hits his first strike was particularly his first forehand with more pace than he did early in his career. He continues to close the, you know, he's going to have to take the net away from Carlos Alcarez. He's going to have to be the aggressor, be the one changing directions. It was interesting as the match progressed in Madrid, much like he did against Karen Hashnov, Djokovic started employing that high and heavy topspin, particularly backhand return. And that actually did a number on Carlos Alcarez. I thought Alcarez might serve and volley his way through it, hit a high forehand volley or maybe even an overhead or a swinging forehand. No, Alcaraz let that ball bounce. And when he did let that ball bounce, that's when Djokovic found his way inside the baseline. That's when Djokovic was able to change direction. Now, even then, athletically, Alcaraz was up for the challenge. Alcaraz is still going to extend rallies. Alcaraz is still going to come up with on-the-run brilliance. He did so in Madrid. I wonder how much more prepared Djokovic is for the drop shot in particular. I think that's my biggest question heading into this match from a tactical perspective, is what does Novak Djokovic do to take that drop shot away? And I know that sounds, you know, it sounds minimal. You're like, why would you want to take the drop shot? Don't you have to focus on taking away the forehand first? Well, you're not going to take away the Carlos Alcaraz forehand. If he's serving well in particular, he's finding forehands no matter what. You say, well, don't you have to target the backhand wing? Well, you can't be predictable against Carlos Alcaraz. His footwork is too diligent. He's too quick. He's going to get around that ball. He's going to find forehands. He's going to take advantage of your predictability. Djokovic has a backhand. It's very similar to the Nadal game plan. That down-the-line backhand, yes, it's challenging the Alcaraz on the run forehand. But look, if Alcaraz is hitting on-the-run gems on that forehand wing, you're losing no matter what. So that down-the-line backhand, as always, is going to be critical for Novak. I think he's going to have to be ta- you know again he did a really good job of it, it was a 677576 match in Madrid like that's as close as it gets and the quality of play was really good as well now 3 out of 5 is a different beast and look physically I think Novak is ready I think the way he turned things on set number 2 uh set number 3 start of set number 4 against Hatchinov how well he's serving He's been locked in on the forehand cross court because you have to hit the -the on-the-run forehand cross well because that's the ball when Alcarez goes inside in. He gets you on the full sprint. He either moves in behind that ball, knocks off an easy first volley, or just dominates you with that second forehand wherever it may be. You have to hit that forehand on the run, full sprint uh, cross, well, because you just have to be able to to neutralize that inside in from Alcaraz and not provide him those easy options. Again, watching Djokovic in his matches, and maybe I'm projecting because I know how critical that match uh, that shot is going to be in this match, but it feels like Djokovic has locked in on that shot as well. And in every match, even when he's had his typical lackadaisical moments. He's still always been locked in whenever he's had an opportunity to hit that ball. And look, he wins Australia. He wins Wimbledon last year. He wins this. He's the favorite in the final. And then he's got a shot to take the all-time slam lead in Rafa's house. Alcaraz has looked better. Alcaraz has the—you know, again, I see this match being on Alcaraz's terms because— he just does his thing. Doesn't matter who you are, even against Novak Djokovic, Carlos Alcaraz is so impressive and so successful. He's gonna find ways to hit the first forehand. He's gonna find ways to impose himself. I gotta see someone beat Novak Djokovic in a best of five format before I can believe it will happen. And so, look, I'm leaning Al- uh, I'm leaning Djokovic. Djokovic in four, I think, is my pick. <sighs> Alcaraz has been better. Alcaraz should be the favorite. I need to see someone beat Djokovic before I believe it. He's earned that sort of benefit of the doubt to me, and maybe that's naive. It does seem a little, you know, again, going rewarding past performance instead of focusing on the present, and if I had more gumption, I'd pick Alcaraz. I'm going Djokovic in four. He's played well enough, and again, mentally, I just need to see someone slay the beast before I believe it's possible. So give me Djokovic four sets in semifinal number one. Semifinal number two. Fourth career had to head, technically fifth, but one of them was in a withdrawal. So, fourth career had to head between Zverev and Rude. Zverev, 3 1 lead if you include the withdrawal, 2 1 when they've played. Rude got his first win over Zverev in Miami last year. That's the last time they played. It was a three set victory for Casper Rude. Look, matchup wise. I like this matchup for Alex Verov. Not only does he win the backhand-to-backhand exchange, but again, because he's 6'6", because he moves so well to that corner, that inside-out heavy topspin forehand that Kasparu likes to use to dictate with and assert himself with, there's no ball Alex Verov enjoys more because if you offer him topspin to amplify the depth and pace of his backhand, which he swings through so well anyways, but now you're giving him additional topspin to keep his ball inside the baseline... I don't want to say he will. He will rock you, but he will have success. And Zverev is just moving better than he has at any point in this twenty twenty three season here at the French Open. Zverev's just been so physical, um, especially if you saw that four set match against Echeverry, the match against Tiafo. Not only does he brought that physicality back when he's landing first serves. I think he's volleying better than he ever has. He had so much success moving forward, first serve out wide, you know, attack the on-the-run backhand of Echeverry. It'll be the exact same pattern. That serve out wide on the deuce side, that serve t on the ad to set up the first strike to the Root backhand, those are going to be the same two serves he employed against Echeverry. He's going to have to employ against Root. I think it's a very similar game plan for Alex Fierro, But I think that's why I'm leaning his way more than anything else is because— there's a lot of similarities between how both Zverev and uh, – excuse me, Rude and Echeverry go about attacking Zverev, and I just think physically he's ready for this now. Again, Zverev's path. Straight set wins over Harris, Mulchan, and Dimitrov. Four sets over Tiafoe and Echeverry. Kasparud side of things, straight sets over Emer and Yari. Four sets over Zepieri, Ji Zhen, and then Holger Rune. He played his best tennis of the tournament in that fourth set against Runa. He served really well, hit the backhand well. He's moving extraordinarily well. And here's the thing. Ruud is maybe better suited to uh, to punish Alex Vera for his yips. Than anywhere else because all Casper needs is time to get into his playbook. If you give him time to run around his forehand, he's going to execute that inside out, inside out, inside in pattern or short angle down the line, move in behind it pattern. He executes his patterns extraordinarily efficiently. That's how he sustained top 10 tennis now for two and a half plus years or two and a half years. If the Zverev yips emerge, and they almost certainly will, again, Kasper Ruud will be there. I just do think structurally, again, the thing that leans most Zverevs away is the things Ruud wants to do most, inside-out forehands. Zverev wants you to attack his backhand with, you know, it's when you, if Casper Ruud's attacking heavy cross-court and picking on that Zverev forehand, and again, using that, you know, using his cross-court forehand to open up the down-the-line aggression or to open up the inside-out patterns and force Vera if to hit that backhand, but on the full sprint, that's where Rude will have his most success, and he will know that going into the match. Again, it's the fourth time these two have played, even if it's the first time in a year. I think it goes at least four sets. I'm going to lean Sverev in four if it goes to a fifth, I'll just take the gumption of Casper Rude over Zverev. Again, Rude's a two-time slam finalist, both of those coming in the last year. And by the way, if he becomes a three-time slam finalist before turning 25 years old, that just doesn't happen in the modern era or the big three era. I'd lean Rude in five. If it gets there, I don't think it will. I'm going to take Alex Zverev in four. Eye I, I test-wise, I just think he's played better tennis. Yeah. That's my explanation. I think both matches are going to be really fun, and obviously we will be back tomorrow. To recap them both. That said, that's where things stand. After Thursday, June eighth, it will be Iga Swiatek looking for Grand Slam title number four. Carolina Mukova looking for her first major singles title in our women's singles final. Of course, Friday, Alcaraz versus Djokovic, Zverev versus Rude. The winner will face off. The winners, excuse me, will face off in our men's singles final. We'll have coverage here at Crack Rackets through the end of the year's second majors. We know it's our job to keep you up to date on everything happening in the tennis world not just at the atp or wta level again we got the usta socal pro series a seven week streak of itf 15k pro events we'll have our men's women's single semifinals for you all every saturday the next six weeks we'll have doubles finals saturday as well singles finals for you all on sunday myself brian fenley mark bay gonna be a mix a cast of characters uh steering the ship through our coverage. So be on the lookout for all of that. And of course, as always, a shout out as uh, to our super producer, Danny Westhoff, excuse me, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content, podcasts, broadcasts, you name it, he does it. He makes it all possible here at crack rack it's a shout out to him a shout out of course as well to our dear friends at tennis point remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 for all of the latest and greatest products with that said for our fantastic super producer Danny westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break we'll see you all tomorrow thanks everyone